Welcome to the Walpole High Film Festival's podcast, One Point Perspective, a podcast that explores the world of digital filmmaking and talks to young aspiring filmmakers in high school, college, and beyond. Now here are the hosts of the show, Mike Allen and James Conley. In today's episode, we sit down with Emily Cotalesa. Emily will talk to us about her time in the Walpole High Film Festival, her time at NYU studying film, and her time working at Hasbro as an animator for their series My Little Pony. All right, we'd like to welcome Emily Cotalesa to the studio. Welcome, Emily. Thank you, guys. I'm so happy to be here. We are excited to have Emily in the studio. Emily is a legendary uh, film festival alum, three-time director, and then went off to film school. So we got lots of questions to ask you. So usually we start off asking, how did you get involved in the Walpole High Film Festival? Oh, that was definitely my brother Justin and watching him and his friends make a movie when I was in middle school, freshman year. So exciting. And it totally made me want to just join in on the fun. As a freshman, I helped out a couple of, couple of those peach films, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, James, you were a big part of those. Oh, yeah. Go peach. I think one of my first introductions into the film industry, if you will, was um, the Apple Insomnia Film Festival that we did. Mm-hmm which was so much fun. And I starred as a gorilla, which was uh, my acting debut. Acting debut as the gorilla. That was, um, a, that was a fun film. Sketchball. Yeah. Sketchball. I think I was just so, so, you know, amazed by the things that I saw when I was a, a wee youngin, and it just made me want to join in. That Sketchball Apple Insomnia contest, that, that, that was... To go back, that was what, 2009 or something like that? 2008? Uh, it was, uh, it, was, it was the 2007 summer. Yeah, so yeah. basically Apple put out their like 24-hour film festival, it, a bunch of requirements that you had to do and come up with like a three-minute film. It was really cool. And they had to shut it down because it became too popular and like choked the system. I remember the people that won had like a helicopter. Yeah. It was like, oh. I think you were allowed to shoot like a certain percentage before. And we started shooting about 10 o'clock at night when the requirements oh, came yeah. out at 10 that morning. So classic peach fashion. Um, yeah, and uh, I just, I mean, the, you guys had so much fun making that, though. It was, I, think, I think the amount of fun that I saw you guys have was just so, so, you know, attractive that it made me want to just kind of bring my own friends and try my own thing. We didn't really expect much from it, but we just had fun with it. It was great. It was at your house, too, so that worked out very nicely. Yes. Have you right there. And it ended up winning the uh, best short film at the festival. Yes. Oh, yeah. You First also, thing I ever won. I was going to say, you were also, I think that's the only thing I've ever won. <laughs> <laughs> you were also a dirt thrower. Yes, a in, special effects yeah, supervisor. Special I believe effects. I was credited uh, for Porker Hill. For Porker Hill, yeah. Another that's right, that's during short. The, the summer, the summer course when, I think that was the first summer course. Might have been the first or second summer course that I ever ran. Bunker was in there, Justin was in there, and Barnes and all those guys. And then, uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun, yeah. Porker Hill. Yeah, so she was throwing dirt, that's right. Yeah, it was like shrapnel, you know. Shrapnel dirt. <laughs> yeah, and then you what? So then you, your sophomore year, you made Changing Faces. Oh, yes, that gem. 
I think changing faces is like the perfect example of what not to do in almost every scenario. I know you use that as my uh, horrible 180 rule. <laughs> that oh, terrible I, scene in the library. I do, actually. It haunts me to this day. <laughs> do you actually use it as a, I, a what uh, not to I do? I actually use that every year. Yeah. <laughs> and I show them, I'm like, this is an example of what not oh. to do. And it was made by Emily Carlos. And they all, they, most of the kids know who you are. So they're like, oh, I was like, yeah, you, you know, and, and it just perfectly encapsulates why you don't do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think I've watched it since. It's cringeworthy. But, <laughs> you know, what not to do? You learn from your mistakes. That was certainly something that I learned going from sophomore year to junior year. I can't even list out the things I learned. I learned what I didn't really like to do. One of the things I learned is that I wasn't the biggest fan of writing, but I loved editing. So I knew going forward, I wanted to focus more of my time on the editing. So Lauren, who I directed Changing Faces with, I also directed my junior year movie with. We knew that we wanted to pick a top shelf script. So we both ended up reading separately and we both loved Love No Magic. So we ended up picking Love No Magic, written by Shanika Frazier and Julia Richardson. We just loved, loved the script that they wrote together. It had so much opportunity for art direction and for some really cool editing moments, and it just kind of stood out to us both separately. So together we decided that was our next film. Yeah, that's a great script. That's um, based on Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. And I honestly thought that that could have won Best Screenplay, but like that was the Maltese Falcon year. That I was know. like Unstoppable Train that was Maltese Falcon. And I know I was really hoping that they would win because that was a great collaboration, one, you know, with Shaniko and Julia. And then also it was based on a play, a Shakespeare play. It was kind of cool. And it was off top shelf, so it would have been cool for them to come back. To yeah. 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 They had both graduated, and uh, yeah. I think they were there. Pretty sure they were there. I know Julia was there. Yeah, I remember seeing them there. Um, yeah, that was that movie was was so challenging but so exciting, and it was definitely the changing point in in my life for sure. I knew that I I wanted to, in some capacity, do film from then on. It was so incredible. Just we had a great crew. We worked so well together. I think we had so much fun too. Yeah, I think that movie is one of those movies that like just perfectly represents what the film festival is all about. It's written by a great collaboration the year before, put on top shelf. Students read it. They're not friends with the writers. They pick it up. They have their own vision for it. And then it's challenging in terms of everything, art direction, editing, storytelling. It's they bring together the acting of like three actors from three different social Worlds. groups. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and they all ended up, you know, becoming friends. Yeah. In a way. I know. You had Earl and Justin and Gaffinator. Yeah. I mean, the Gaffron. <laughs> Gaffron. Gaffron, I know you're listening to this podcast. I hope you're doing well. Number one fan for the number one podcast right there, Brian Gaffy. Gaffron is like Gaffinator is literally across the, the parking lot right now building robots. He's so he's the, he's the head of the robotics now. Yeah. One of the rare like half breeds that we have of robotics film kids. 
Yes, that they're very six, rare breed. I'm very pretty rare. sure he was uh, an extra in I Scott Bot and he just went rogue, right? Was he? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, no, he was, he was one of the robots. Yeah, yeah he was, was one like, of the robots. I was like, I don't think he was in the school at that time. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that movie is, uh, was a special movie. I think it was the first year Miss Pattis was here as well, right? Yeah. So art direction was so much fun that year. It was definitely the first year where we really put attention on it, where we hadn't in years previous. And I just... Loved making Earl wear glittery wings and tights every day. Yeah, we had so. the, the wings, the like those awesome wings. Those were handcrafted, yeah. and those took a while, and they did a wonderful job on those. Yeah, we had a whole art direction department working on those wings, and what I liked too about that movie was you guys had this vision, and you're like, well, we we want you know so and so to like pop into frame, and those like stuff that we never did. And we're like, okay, so let's look up how to do this. We watched the making of Mary Poppins. Yes. This is kind of before YouTube. So we had to like go to the DVDs and I had Mary Poppins. I don't I think. I watched that scene so many times. Yeah. The spoonful of sugar scene. Because Phoebe got that for her like first birthday. And like we were <laughs> watching it and I was like, oh my God, the girls would love this. So we, so we watched, studied how to do it. And basically did it old school. Yeah. Like the way that they did it. And then... We set up a tripod yeah. still. There, that was no After Effects editing or anything No, like it that. wasn't really much effects until we gave it to Gaffy. Right. And we said, Gaffy, can you see what <laughs> you can do? Make something magic. And it was before we were using Adobe After Effects, we were using Apple's version of that, which is Motion, which is still around, which is still very good. He looked up how to do all the the pixie dust and the glitter and all that stuff and really like made it work and then we added in the sound remember the sound like we yes. added that perfect sound and everything just kind of we worked. had like the ambient forest noise going through most of it oh yeah that's right uh, yeah. but yeah and and that like i said before that was like such a turning point then i didn't even realize how much motion graphics and special effects were going to play into my life now and even through college but it kind of always ties back to that one movie I feel like everything that I've loved was present during that time when I made that, and it's just something that I love to continue to do now. And you even have a tattoo, am I right? I do, actually. <laughs> I have my Love No Magic gang symbol. It's tattooed on my wrist, and it kind of reminds me every day of why I do what I do, and every day is sort of a rededication to being in this industry because it can be really tough. Amazing. Yeah. I just remember the editing on that, watching that, just from the the audience points of point of view, and it was it was really cool because you were doing the stop motion, you were doing like like you said the pixie dust and Earl popping in and out, and the attention to the art direction that year in general was just way better than like a kid wearing a wig, which is what kind of everything before which you that saw was. the same wig in three other films yeah, that year <laughs> exactly. So it was definitely a, a huge step in the right direction. And I remember just really enjoying that from my point of view. Senior year. Senior year, Conan the Librarian. <laughs> that was a, a beast of a movie. <laughs> yeah, that was certainly an experience. I, that was another top shelf script. Tariq Tate wrote that, and Tariq is a, is, turned into be a great writer. And he, he's actually, for a while, I don't know if he's still doing it, but he was working, uh, he was trying to make it as a screenwriter. He would email me 
and he's trying to make it as a screenwriter. I think he's in Boston. He might be in he New actually, York. He just started a record label called Thankful Records. Oh, it's he out did. Of, it's out of Boston, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So he, he is a very talented writer. And he got it. That kid, that kid just got it right away. Yeah, I fell in love with that script right away. And again, that one I saw so much opportunity for art direction and editing, so I was really excited about it. Tyreek ended up being in the film class, so he was able to act in it. And he was also such a great actor. It was so fun to be able to work with him, not only because, you know, that was his sort of script in the initial beginning, and he kind of helped me in a way and I helped him. And you had a, you had a, I think for you the, the learning experience with Conan was kind of handling your actors. Yeah, I had different challenges with that than I did with the year before. I think that's where, it wasn't as organized I felt like. And I'm not sure why that is. I think maybe it was my senior film and so more things fell onto my shoulders, if that makes sense. I remember you going into senior year and the script was, speaking of Top Shelf, that was on Top Shelf for two years that I originally wanted your brother to do was The Mathlete. And I gave you that first. I was like, Emily, here's your, here's your script. I think you can do it. And you passed. The Mathlete was definitely an awesome script, for sure. I just passed on it because it didn't really speak to me in the way that Love No Magic did. And I think that's so important to have a connection to your script or your idea or whatever you're doing, it's so important to feel connected to that and to be excited about it. And if it's not, if you're not excited about it, then it's not for you. For me, the mathlete was so awesome, but I think it was even more awesome in the hands of Rich and McGuill. I think they knocked that out of the park and that spoke to them. So I think that was the perfect opportunity for them. And Conan was just, for me, it spoke to me. I really enjoyed the, the whimsical Mario-esque vibe that it had. I loved being able to just jump into a silent film, which I did randomly, and that one had things that I was more passionate about, and I think that's really important. Yeah, I agree. But ironically enough, you were roped back in, you, you and Nick, in like every hand that we had, basically, to the final hours of the mathlete trying to get it done. Yes. Oh, I remember that. We were, we had it projected on uh, on your wall, I think. Yeah, I had a. I used. The, we had so many people working on that movie at the end of that movie to get it done on time. I think that's really cool, though. It shows like how everyone's willing to help each other out in the eleventh hour, and I really loved that when I was here. Definitely something that I've seen you know, in school is that when you're doing something that you're really passionate about and you're surrounded with like-minded people, everyone's willing to help each other out just to, to yeah. get that done, to, to make it work. And that's it, so yeah. fulfilling. It was great to have all you guys too in like the same room editing. Remember we had a kick McGuill out yeah, because we did. We, the movie came in at like oh, 36 he was minutes. He being so annoying. We had to we had kick him cut, out. And it was a lot of good stuff. We had to cut things down. We had to cut a lot of Ryan's lines down. And he was good being lines. a little bit of a diva. Oh, yeah. He was being a big diva. We had to kick him out. <laughs> Lead actor. We had to do our he was like, but that's my moment. That's my best line. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it ended up working out for him. He ended up winning. So, yeah, he did a great job. Yeah, Ryan he did a great did. job. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hmm. Meats. 
who doesn't love meats? Not specific meats, mind you, a variety of unidentifiable meats mashed together in various delicious patty shapes and slathered with only the finest and spiciest sauces that will take your taste buds on a fiery hell ride. Here at the Spicy Skillet, we can appreciate your love of a wide variety of patties and nuggets, all your classic lunchroom favorites. And every month, we'll deliver them to you, reasonably fresh. You also receive a generous container of brightly colored sauce. What sauces, you ask? Buffalo chicken, buffalo beef, buffalo soy, blue cheese and buffalo, mac and buffalo, spicy buffalo mayo, honey buffalo, zesty buffalo, buffalo and mint, General Gao's buffalo. For an extra $50, you can also hire your favorite childhood lunch lady to come along and dip lovingly your favorite patties or nuggets into the sauce of your choice. Will she ask you if you want plain or buffalo? No, no, my friend. She knows you well enough to know that you want that sauce. Spicy Skillet, fulfilling all of your cafeteria dreams since 2010. Enter promo code MEAT for a $5 discount on ginger buffalo sauce. To receive an additional 20% off and free shipping on your order, use the sponsor link found on the podcast page of our website, whsfilmfestival.com. I think a lot of people want to hear about your decision-making process with schools because you decided to go to film school and apply for film school. And I remember top choices. You wanted Syracuse Mm -hmm. Film School, which is a very exclusive film school, and NYU Tisch. And fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know which way you want to look at it, you got into both. Yes. You had to make that decision. I think fortunately... Yeah, that was such a tough decision. I haven't really thought back to that moment in a while. The determining factor for me, you know, between the two film schools was that when I went to visit Syracuse, it was very comfortable. It it reminded me, you know, a lot of Walpole, a lot of my friends were going there. But every time I talked to someone that was taking a film class, They would always tell me that they would have to go down to New York City and do their internship or, oh, we can go back down to New York City. So everything kind of kept going back to New York City and I think that was my determining factor of going there. It was also like the scariest, riskiest thing and I think mostly I just would have regretted the decision of not trying it, mostly. I think that if I passed up the chance to go to Tisch. I would have always thought about that my whole life. So getting in was a blessing and a curse. Yeah, and so in a nutshell here, like, you know, was it worth going to NYU, not versus Syracuse, but just in film school in general? And uh, you know, what, what, did you, what were some of the more important things that you learned at film school? It's like the lifelong debate, isn't it? Is it worth it to go to film school? And it's something that I honestly asked myself every day I was there (laughs) and still do sometimes and I think there's no good answer to that I think the 
What I would say to that is that it totally depends on the person. You could go to the best film school in the world, you could go to dentistry school, and you could end up getting the same job. And that's because no matter where you are, if you take the opportunity to make videos and you, know, you make that opportunity for yourself, it doesn't really matter where you go. And I hate to say that, probably don't want to say that, but I feel like NYU is so worth it for me for so many different reasons, and most of them aren't film-related. So to me, yes, it was. That's because I met my best friend and my future co-studio owner, and that's a friendship that you know I could have met at any other school, and we could have had that uh, we could have had that partnership anywhere. I think it's just, it really depends on the person, you know? If you don't go to a film school or, or a top name film school, that doesn't matter. You know, you could have the best camera or you could have your iPhone and you could still make an amazing video. So for me, I think the opportunities that I had at NYU were incredible. I mean, I I got to meet some amazing directors. I got to take some classes that probably don't exist anywhere else. But at the end of the day, it was my own discipline and perseverance, and I was the one that made the opportunities for myself. And I think that's the most important thing. It, you're not gonna get handed a job just because you go to Tisch. It's so not true. If anything, it's not, not true at all. It's the most opposite. When I graduated film school, I actually graduated early. I worked so hard to save that extra bit of money. When I graduated though, I did not get a job. I had to move back home and it was so not what I expected. <laughs> I thought honestly I was gonna leave NYU and be like, come at me, who wants me? And that was so not true. I ended up bartending for three years. Those were three really challenging years. Um, I had to think about, you know, was this all worth it? I just spent, you know, more money than I could even fathom, honestly. And now here I am working at a bar. Um, and I had the worst manager ever, by the he way. He was terrible. He was, yeah, just, was a jerk. God. I heard horror yeah. stories. Horror stories. Now, but you bring up a good point, like people who think they're going to go to film school and then all of a sudden come out and be like, okay, like who wants me? This is not a reality. You have yeah. to, you have to hustle and, but you never gave up. And you, you said it's the connections that you made, the friendships that you make at film school that make it worthwhile. And, that, and that's what we are hearing. And that's kind of my message to students is like, look, you, you have a lot of the skills that you need to go ahead and make a film, and if you wanna hustle and, and, and just do that, you can do that. But the benefit of film school is you're around a lot of like-minded kids. You're making a lot of connections for life. You know, right. and, and that can, in that business, the movie business has a lot to do with who you know and the connections that you have. And even though it doesn't, it's not your dream job bartending, but even in bartending or waitering, you're making a lot of connections, you're meeting a lot of people, and ultimately one of those connections right. led to your job. Yeah, so as I was in my daytime bartending shift, I was just chatting with my coworker. 
and just kind of telling her how I have this film degree and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> she ended up telling me that she, on the side, is a beautician and she gives facials. And I was like, okay, where is this going? And she did a facial for a woman who is a producer at Hasbro. And I was like, oh, cool, can I have her name? So she gave me her name, Lindsay Sutton, and I emailed her out of the blue and I was just like, hey, I went to school, this is what I went to school for, and if you have any opportunity at all, just I'm willing and able to do anything. <laughs> and at this point, I honestly didn't even know what position I was going for. I continued to enjoy editing throughout my time at NYU, but I felt like I wasn't really that amazing at just one thing, one niche thing to go for. And that was something that I really struggled with. But so when I contacted her, I was just like, hey, I would love to just meet you, get my foot in the door. Um, and she ended up responding and she was so kind. She ended up having me come in for an interview. Um, and this was for an associate producer position, which I was like, sure, I can, I can do that. I don't know, I don't know what I wanna do. What's that um, even do? <laughs> so I interviewed with her and I met the team and kind of nothing came about it. And so I went back to my bartending job. So much fun, you know, giving Jim the old Bud Lights. And uh, so, so I was like, oh man, you know, another rejection. And, and this is a time where I'm constantly applying to positions and putting my resume out there and, you know, getting the same old no. So I just went on my merry way. But probably every two or three months, I would email her and another guy that I met there and just be like, hey, happy new year. How's things going? Just so you know, I'm still in the area. So I would continuously reach out to them, kind of be annoying. Still nothing came about it. Then they contacted me and they said that I was so persistent that they remembered my name and they had an opening as an office admin at the studio. And if I would be interested, they would love to have an interview. So I was like, yes, finally somebody wants me. So I had an interview for this office admin position and I was just totally willing to do anything that they wanted just to get my foot in the door. And this is for Hasbro's internal studio that makes most of their digital content and most of their advertising. It's just such a cool opportunity and I was so excited. So I'm on my phone interview and honestly, I thought I was bombing it because they weren't listening to me. Like I could tell they were talking amongst themselves <laughs> on the other line. <laughs> But what I didn't realize was that they had found an animation I made for my brother when I was in film school. And this was a Christmas present I made for him. It was a stop motion. And I just had it on my Vimeo account. And they ended up asking if I would be interested in a position doing motion graphics. And I was like, what? Like, I thought I was talking about an admin position. And now you're like offering me a dream job. What is this? So. They asked if I was interested and they offered me a three-month contract to kind of test the waters. I think they were sort of as unsure as I was about motion graphics. I honestly dove in. I had no real motion graphics experience and 
I made those three months turn into six months, and then I made those six months turn into two years, and I learned so much. While I was there, I mainly worked in After Effects, and that's definitely my bread and butter now. I love editing on After Effects. But also, while I was there, My Little Pony needed some extra content in between seasons, and they had asked the senior motion artist if she would be willing to do a couple tests and to see if she could sort of recycle their show animation and tell new stories. So she started to kind of work on that and I was looking over her shoulder and I was like, that is so interesting. What are you doing? So I kind of just stayed late while she was working one day and asked her a million questions and she was like, hey, you want to help me do this and we can see where we take it. We ended up creating a 10-part mini-series for the show, all in After Effects. We took their flash files and recycled them into new shorts. And they loved that so much that they ended up giving us two more seasons. So we did three seasons total. The first one was like a felt scrapbook. The second one was like a watercolor artist book. And then the third is like a chalkboard kind of a look, which was really cool. And the scrapbook, that whole thing was actually your idea too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they, uh, well, so me being like, so excited to finally get a chance. I might have went a little above and beyond. I was so excited about the idea of doing this almost like animated scrapbook. It was so up my alley that I actually made the scrapbook in real life to kind of try and pitch to the to the boss of our studio like, hey, this could be really cool. Um, Because at this point they were still like, is this worth it? Is it not worth it? Should our studio take on this huge project? And so I was like, yes, yes, we want to take it on. So I sort of made this scrapbook, and I actually turned the scrapbook now into a book you can buy on Amazon. That's it's so called cool. Baby Flurry Hearts Five Minute Stories. Yeah. yeah, but My Little Pony is huge. It I mean, is huge, and it's funny too. It's actually a pretty funny show. It's, it's, it is. It's, they it's, have it's, a lot of like allusions and yeah. stuff on it that. It's very well done. My daughter's not into My Little Pony, but she's getting. I think she's interested because she knows you and she's like, oh. <laughs> but she's into so many other things that I don't know. We'll, maybe, we'll figure out some maybe time for that. Yeah. Like, you got some big Swiss fans. Like. Yeah, there's, a, there's bronies <laughs> everywhere. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, this pony, I just, that was such a great, you know, I saw that little nugget of an idea that, that someone else had and I was like, yes, let's run with this. Let's make this happen. And while I was working on that, I have to, of course, become a pony expert. So if anyone knows of any like bar trivia pony night, I am there and I am winning the cake. All right, good to know. Take that in the back pocket. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Can't find anyone to join your club? We here at Club Recruiter can find various students who will be willing to pretend that they're interested in something you're passionate about. Whether it's the Birding Club, the Ultimate Frisbee Club, or the Adventure Club, we can find people who can fake an interest in your wildly unpopular extracurricular. And if you're concerned that it's going to be an issue that your club is entirely fake to begin with, don't worry. 
most of the people we'll find who will claim to be members of your club don't really want to show up to it anyway. So they'll be happy to continue maintaining the farce that you've been living in all these years. Enter promo code RECRUITER for a $5 discount. Receive an additional 20% off and free shipping on your order. Use the sponsor link found on the podcast page of our website, whsfilmfestival.com. I just remember um, you coming in a couple of years ago to help out a lot of graduates end up doing is you know they come in and and uh help us out so like we had some after effects issues with uh rufix cube and and you came and saved the day with with that movie and it was like your skills with after effects were like very so <laughs> impressive like everyone's like whoa admit you stayed up all night pulled an all-nighter to finish that movie and i remember you talking to the kids about you know sticking with it and all that stuff and how much you liked the job that you were in and just you could tell that you were you were using skills that you were so desperate to use and like you were in an environment a creative environment that you loved so it was kind of cool so we ask all our guests now to give some advice to the, the current filmmakers out there at, at Walpole High to encourage them to watch some good films so our first question is if you had to pick three Hollywood movies that you would like these film students to watch and learn from, what would you choose? That's a good one. I think first I would choose to watch Duel by Steven Spielberg. It's his first big movie. I saw it while I was in film school. I was so impressed that he was only 21 when he made that, so don't feel bad. Steven Spielberg. But I was so impressed with that movie for so many reasons. One big reason is that he was able to capture so much conflict and tension with barely any dialogue at all. Or if any. I, I don't yeah, there's dialogue, in, there's dialogue in that movie, but it's not much. But barely. But it was really just all camera angles and editing that, that created this, this huge story between a truck and another car. And it was just... I was just so impressed by how with just two cars he was able to create such a compelling story and it just made me realize the power of story in general. Another one for sure is Up. You have to see Up. How to get so much exposition out in the first five minutes and laugh and cry it's just that's just so incredible. Also don't be afraid to say you like not obscure films when you're in film school. You don't have to say that you like the weirdest indie film ever to be cool. You can say you like Michael Bay films if you like Michael Bay films. If Avatar is your favorite, you can say it. That's something I always found. Everyone was always afraid to like, say what they really like to watch, you know? That's great advice. That's though. actually I love great. It. I'm like a yeah. commie boy guy, so yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm right there people would be like, oh, no, 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 Menage Trois, blah, blah, by this weird director in the 40s, and I'm like, I like Family Guy. Like, yeah. what? The fr- yeah, I, I feel like some of these film schools are very heavy on the French New Wave. And yeah, like, and just remember, like, le- you like what you like. Don't try and, like, pretend you like other things because you go to some weird film school and the people, you know 
try to act as hipster as possible. It's like a life tip. Like, don't don't be who you are. <laughs> be yourself. Well, I, I always found that like the teachers would always start out the class with "What's your favorite film?" or you know, and yeah, people you could tell. You just be honest. Say what you like, and then I and think. What did you tell them? My I would always say "Fellowship of the Ring" by you know the Lord of the Rings, "Fellowship of the Ring." one of the best movies made, hands down. I always say that only because I think it nails every single category involved in making a film. The acting, the directing, the writing, the editing, the art direction, the screenplay, everything about it is just phenomenal. And that's your third movie, Fellowship? Yes. So the first one, not Two Towers, just clarifying. Yeah, Fellowship. Okay, far out. Not, sure. not two towers. <laughs> I, I'm a big two towers guy, but I I no. agree. They're, they're all three of those are very impressive. Yes. And now, if you had to recommend three film festival movies that you were not involved with in any way, for these kids to watch and enjoy, or watch and learn from, what what three would you pick? Ooh, I feel like I have to say. For me, the first movie I was ever blown away by was I, Scott Bot, and that was before my time. I think that still holds up today. It's such an incredible film, and I think Tom DeSilva did a really awesome job in you know, pushing the boundaries of the film festival that year, and, and even still now. I mean, I think that movie still pushes the limits. And also, I gotta go with Telltale Meatloaf. That was... One of my brothers, it was my brother's senior film, and I'm not biased, but I just, I film. thought that was so, so cool. I mean, the, the heartbeat in the lunch bag, it was so good. Yeah, it was uh, a classic. Yes. Classic. And Bobby Buckley knocked that one out of the park. His acting, I remember just watching outtakes. Just, you could have had a whole movie of outtakes just from... Just from Bobby's performance. True story about that Telltale Meatloaf. Jim Russo was so excited about that movie. He was demanding to see part of it. Jim Russo and Greg O'Leary, who are out in LA, and I, I made like a highlight reel. It wasn't done, but I made like a, like the, basically the rushes, the, the dailies, put it together, and then hit it on the website. And then, and then told them where to find it. This was like during the production <laughs> of that movie. So they got to see like some clips because they were like so anxious to see that movie. Oh, that's, that's so amazing. funny. The first Easter egg. <laughs> the, yeah, <laughs> the first Easter egg. That's a good, that's a good, that's trivia, a good trivia question trivia. right there. For yeah. the kids that is are listening, that, yes. Is that the first Easter egg you think? Yeah, it might have been. Oh, nice. The idea was born. History. There you go. And, and then I, and I also, I'm like, swear not just saying this because James are right here, but I love Voodoo Child. I thought oh, me. three <laughs> strong female actors, they were all so good. I think you, just that script nailed it. I think it's so hard to like come up with a new story in a high school setting. And sometimes it seems like ideas can be trite whenever you try and pitch them and in the high school, but I think that that one was so unique and it was so much fun. And I just always honestly think of that shot when they're holding the Dunkin' iced coffee in the beginning. Yeah. I don't know why, I always just remember that. The Every time I yeah. get, get Dunkin', I'm like, oh, I'm voodoo child in it. 
Oh. It's a term now, huh? Yeah, it is. We made the Urban Dictionary. Hashtag yeah. voodoo child you're, in it. Yeah, you're, a ver- you're a verb now. <laughs> I know, we're a verb. James, that's you didn't real. win a, an award, but you did no. get a word made. So uh, Yeah, that's actually, that lasts longer. Yeah, that, <laughs> that stays in Webster's Dictionary for life. So have you been keeping up with any of the films this year? Not really this year. This is kind of like the first year where I feel very unsure of what's going to come in this year's festival which I'm kind of excited about. I look forward to being on the Academy. And I think, actually, that's kind of nice that I don't really know anything this year because I have a blind eye and I get to look at everything fresh. So I'm super excited. Can't wait. Yeah, we're, we're pretty excited as well. And uh, the buzzes will be coming out soon. Yeah, buzzes Ooh, will be coming out yeah, soon. You get to learn nice. more about that. We are tremendously grateful for... Emily Cotalesa, a.k.a. The Queen, to grace us with her presence. Thanks. We've been trying to uh, get this podcast for like a year, but well, yeah, the busy, bit. the pony schedule was... <laughs> the ponies took the over ponies my took life. Over. <laughs> yeah, I think if I could say just a little advice to people who are going into film school, one thing that I would have found super, super helpful before I went to NYU was if someone told me this. Write down any inkling of an idea that you might have for a future project. Even if it's a half-baked idea or a quarter-baked idea, just have a list in your notes in your phone of potential jumping-off points or things that you could work on in the future. Because one, a couple little nuggets of ideas can come together and form an awesome idea nugget. And two, I found when I was in school, so often I was forced to do another project and another project, and you really can't force creativity, and that was something that I really struggled with because nobody cares if you're not feeling creative, you have a project due. But having a list of ideas that I could go back to and and draw from was so helpful, and I learned that later on as I went. So going forward, if you're going into film school, make sure you have a list of ideas, even if you don't think they're that good. And my last piece of advice is something that I heard recently that really, really resonated with me, and that was a quote that said, don't sacrifice the good in pursuit of the perfect. And I think that's so important because I struggle with, you know, not putting myself out there or posting a video because I'm like, oh, the artist in me doesn't feel like it's perfect enough. The film is never quite finished. But that's something that can can really hurt you in the end. And just keep going, keep putting content out there. Yeah, don't be afraid to put out something good because you don't think it's perfect. I think that's great advice. Emily, thank you for coming in today. As thank always. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to, pleasure to see you. It's always great to come back here. Thank you for listening to One Point Perspective, Walpole High School's number one podcast. For those interested in attending this year's 16th annual film festival on May 8th and May 10th with the red carpet on May 17th, find out more information at our website, whsfilmfestival.com. You've been listening to Walpole High Film Festival's podcast, One Point Perspective.